I, I have no aspiration uh, that we would be the best church in town. Uh, but I would love for us to be a great church. And it's not that, that I would like for just us to be a great church. I, I would like to be part of a great church, like a universal great church. And I, I think that's what uh, the paragraph in Acts is about uh, this morning. It's about a great church. The church has been great. And I think that as we uh, look back and we consider who our forefathers in the faith were, it then challenges to say, okay, God hasn't changed. <laughs> he still is great. Really, people haven't changed. God in them can do great things. And therefore, we want to learn. What, what is it? What does it mean to be a great church? So would you stand with me? And let's read uh, Acts 5. 12 through 16. If you have your Bible, you can follow along or you can follow along and I'll read from the screen. Acts 5, verse 12. Through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people, many wonderful things done. They all met regularly in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. But even though people admired them a lot... Outsiders were wary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master were added right and left, men and women both. They, were, they, they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping they'd be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from the villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them bringing the sick and bedeviled. And they all were healed. Have a seat. This great church was great because of great power, great grace, and great fear. That's been kind of a theme that, that Luke has been impressing upon us as we've traveled through chapters 4 and 5. The church has faced resistance resistance from the religious establishment, resistance from the devil, and it's risen above that resistance, not in and of itself, but because there's a great God that gives great power, great grace, and great fear. So that's what we want to look at. Great power, great grace, and great fear. Our passage says that through the work of the apostles, literally... Signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. Events that are contrary to the usual course of nature. Miracle, demonstrations of power. Those signs and wonders happen. Now, now what I think we have to remember, you don't forget, we, we're, we're reading a story and there's connection back. Uh, remember, this is a community of people that when resistance came from the religious establishment, they met together and they said, Oh God, consider their threats. Stretch out your hand. Oh God, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So, so when, when the scripture is saying it's through the hands of the apostles, it's really God's hand upon the apostles stretching out their hand. 
So it's, it's God's power that comes into humanity that is then moved out and touches a generation. The, these apostles don't have the ability in and of themselves to do what they're doing. The signs and wonders are coming because there's a God in heaven who's heard their prayer stretching out his hand by using their hand to touch the sick. The other thing is, once they prayed that prayer, the place that they were meeting shook. and They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. So the, 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 the apostles have these hands that are reaching out with the power of God because they're filled with power by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled them with the ability to stretch out their hands with the courage to proclaim the words. That it's, so it's not man in and of themselves. It's a God in man touching a generation. And again, that, that is just like, wow. God, God doing in them and through them what he could do by, by himself, but he chooses to use people. And then they doing what they could never do by themselves in relationship with God. And, and it's, the, it's the same setup today. That, that has not changed. There is a God in heaven that would love for the church to say, fill us with the Holy Spirit that we'd have the power to reach our generation. Fill us with the power to convince our, our generation that Jesus is the King. These signs and wonders. For Luke, uh, it's, it's kind of like the new mosaic age of eschatological redemption is exhibited in the tip, typical signs and wonders of the present, just as recollection of the redemption from Egypt was bound up with this expression in Judaism. The signs and wonders are a pledge of the certainty of eschatological occurrence. What, what, what these kind of word book guys are telling you is that there's two places in the Bible that signs and wonders are mentioned. One is in the, the, the age of Moses, when Moses is called of God to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. Signs and wonders accompanied that redemption. The other place is where we are now. Signs and wonders are being done because there is a new mosaic age. There's, a, there's the past and now there's this present future. So God is now redeeming a new people by signs and wonders. Now, what, what's kind of really a sad, sad state of affairs, when, when you look back at Moses, you know, you've got Pharaoh who placed Israelites in slavery, hard labor, and didn't want to let them go. When you get to this day, you, you've got Judaism and its interpretation of what God gave through the old covenant, keeping people in religious slavery. And so there's a now a day of redemption, and God is saying, by signs and wonders, a new day has come. A day of salvation has arrived. Let my people go from religious slavery. Let them follow Messiah who's come, Jesus. Also, the apostolic signs and wonders seem to be particularly important for in them is to be found an essential and indispensable part of the divine 
authorization of the apostles. I mean, they needed to have God's stamp. I mean, these, these are ordinary people. These are Galileans. You know, Peter is a fisherman who's been called to kind of lead a, a new covenant people. And so he, he needs God saying, yes, I'm authorizing you. Like I authorized Moses to lead the people, you have my authority to lead. So these signs and wonders are, are serving a, a bigger picture uh, than just kind of like points of power on a map. There is a new day that has dawned. And God is confirming that day and leading people into a new age of salvation by signs and wonders. The signs and wonders, I mean, they really are, I mean, it makes me, I mean, like, goodness gracious, even Peter's shadow, uh, you know, they, they place the, the sick on the streets and just, Peter's shadow. What's the matter, Steve? Oh, oh, that's the wrong Peter. The Apostle Peter's shadow. They even carried the sick out into the streets and they laid them on stretchers and bedrolls hoping they would be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by. They came from the villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them bringing the sick and bedeviled and they were all healed. Healing for the sick and those tormented by demons. Again, putting it in context from all the villages surrounding Jerusalem, and Jerusalem in the center of Jerusalem is a temple to God, and the impact of that temple on the day was a community of people that were sick and demonized. So again, Luke is communicating to us, man, there is the need of a new day, that the old covenant isn't working. People are not healthy People are not physically healthy. People are not spiritually healthy. Even though there's a temple and the old covenant keeps being practiced, it's not working. And so healing begins. Deliverance begins. Healing as the bringer of of the age of salvation. Jesus is the great physician. The essential feature of Jesus' healing is that in a wonderful already, the light shines in which Jesus will perfect his victory over all dark and satanic powers. What these quotes are trying to say is that healing is never an end in itself. Healing is a sign of something bigger. The bigger picture is There is an age of salvation that has arrived. It is the messianic age. The already is something of the future has broken into the present. The Messiah has come, and with Messiah this new age has come. And in that, the Messiah, the King, is victorious over all dark satanic power. The New Testament process of healing itself is never the important point. But the demonstration of the power of Jesus by which he makes it plain that with him the kingdom of God is broken into this suffering world. It's the victory of Jesus 
over the power of evil that's important. Now, the way that I would explain that is that, that I have opportunity to pray for the sick. And, and I am grateful for that, though that's hard. The last person that I prayed for was a very good friend of mine. And he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it was the worst sort of brain tumors. And for the months that he was fighting that brain tumor, on a regular basis, I would go out of obedience to what I believe the Bible says, pray for the sick. I believe the Bible says, anoint the sick with oil. Lay your hands on the sick and pray for them in the name of Jesus. My friend believed that too. So together we would meet. We had this special place in his home that we would regularly pray together. And I can tell you, every time we did that, there was the presence of God. There was the power of God. It was this felt presence, this felt power. Every, each time. Each time. Now, was he physically healed of that tumor? The answer is no. That tumor ultimately killed him. But the last time I prayed with him, he was under hospice care. He was in a hospital bed in his front room. And I went to pray with him. And, and also I knew probably to say goodbye to him. And as, as we were talking, his sister said, my brother has a really bad headache. And I said, well, let me, let me pray. And at his funeral, which was two weeks later, his sister said, you know, you prayed for my brother... And after you left, his headache was gone. Now see, I'm going to take that, that there is a God that breaks into this world of suffering. And while I would have preferred my friend be healed of that tumor, he wasn't. The truth, however, is that he still experienced the victory of Jesus. He was still comforted in his pain. God broke into his pain and put an end to it. Even though he was not healed in that moment, he's healed now. So Jesus was still victorious. So what I love about this is the real victory in praying for the sick is the victory in the conflict which forces are going to win out. You know, these forces are trying, they're struggling for mastery over the cosmos. And I can say that I know Jesus is victorious. So when I pray for the sick, and even if they're not instantly healed, they're still, I'm declaring the victory of Jesus over the powers of darkness. So it's worth praying every time for those that are sick, regardless. I mean, again, the, the New Testament process itself is never the important point. Healing in and of itself is not the important point. There's a bigger picture that healing, there is a God who cares about us. There's a God who's broken into our world of suffering. And there is a God who interrupts suffering when we ask him to. And there are times that he breaks in with miraculous healing, as we're reading about. But even if he doesn't, it's still worth it. You, you get Do you get it? Great power. That's a great church. But it's also great grace. They all met regularly in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. How how many of us have been on the temple mound? We've got a few of us. 
You know, it's a pretty large space. I mean, what, what do you think? How many acres do you think it covers? Quite a bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> Bigger than a football field. Along the eastern wall, which is interesting, was Solomon's porch. When 8,000 people showed up there to worship Jesus, 8,000 people plus showed up there to worship Jesus, and you've got in the middle of it the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, and so you're, you've got this... Well, we're, we're, trying, we're trying to carry on worship according to the old covenant, but all of you people now worshiping according to the new covenant, and there's 8,000 of you, and you're loud, and you're, you're, you're celebrating. I mean, it, there's, it, to me, it's just like remarkable. It is remarkable that they are turning just kind of the religious atmosphere of a very religious city upside down. And they're meeting there with one mind, one purpose, one impulse. And I would suggest to you that what that rallying point for the church was, we are announcing the kingdom of God. The king has arrived. The king has shown up. And we represent his kingdom, and we're here to announce there is a new king. There is a new day. There is a new covenant. There is a new way. There is a new relationship. There is forgiveness that goes to the heart. That, that, that's, they're announcing the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what their purpose was. And that great grace that rested upon them, 8,000 people with one purpose, one mind. 8,000 people with this great grace to care for each other, to love each other, to reach out to the city. That's great. Grace. A great church has great power. It has great grace. It also has great fear. And I think there's two things that what, what Luke is trying to communicate to us. You know, it's, he says no one, no one else dared to join them. Outsiders dared not to join them even though all the people had high regard for them. So the, the, the city of Jerusalem respected this growing group of people that were following Jesus, and yet the, they dared not join them. Other ways to say that, they didn't have courage to join. Another way to say that, they were not brave enough to join. Now, when in my life, when in your life, have we ever heard somebody out on the streets of New Braunfels, San Antonio, San Marcos say, you know, I've been thinking about going to church, but, but I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have enough courage to go. I, I'm not brave enough to go to that church. And then it's connected, well, why, why did they have that kind of reputation? I think there's two things. One is on the screen. News about Ananias and Sapphira would have circulated throughout Jerusalem, throughout Judea. Did you hear about that couple that dropped dead in front of Peter? I don't, I don't think I'm going to dare going. I mean, it looks like, like something really like severe can happen to you if you join that group. And then the other thing is 
the religious establishment had a lot of power. And dare I join that group because I might end up in jail with Peter. You know, I might end up in jail with these apostles. I might end up on a cross like Jesus was on a cross because they've, they've got some real muscle. Dare I join them? Do I have the courage to join them? And yet a community held in high, high esteem. Because this community of people following Jesus had great respect for God. They had great respect for each other. They had great respect for the city that they lived in. Great power. Great grace. Great fear slash respect. Friend, I mean, this was a great church. This was a great church. So I think about us and think about our community as I think about the church universal. Man, I want us to be a great church. I want us to be a great church where, where there's great power, where God is stretching out his hands through us and we're reaching out our hands and, and we're touching the sick and they're healed in the name of Jesus. We're, we, are, we, are, we are setting the captives free. Let's not be foolish to think that demons don't still torment people. They need to be set free in the name of Jesus as God stretches out his hand. A day of redemption. Great grace. A, a, a group of people following Jesus with one heart. I mean, a tremendous grace for that to happen. A group of people following Jesus that care for each other. I mean, care enough for each other that if it came down to, I'm going to sell my house, I'm going to give the proceeds to the, to the church so everybody can be taken care of. That, there is a grace involved in that that is phenomenal. And then great respect. A, a community of people that have such great regard for God, for who He is, for what He can do, for good on this planet now. A group that has great respect for each other. A respect for, for, for people that don't know Jesus. I mean, I think all that's wrapped in there. So if we're going to be a great church, and if we're going to be part of a great church, universal, how are we going to define that greatness? Now, is it going to be defined by our cultural standards, which are always for ease and comfort? Let me, let me make you comfortable. Let me make this easy. Or are we going to define greatness by the challenges of the kingdom of God? What it means to be a people impacted by the future, living in the present with hopes about what God is doing now as he's invaded this world of suffering. You see, when I said this is a great church, did you notice some of the things that were missing? I mean, there's no mention of a great pastor. 
I mean, there's, there's apostles, plural, but there's not a great pastor. There, there's not somebody's face plastered on billboards all around Jerusalem. There's not a great worship leader. I'm sure they had great worship. I'm sure they raised their voices like never before on Solomon's porch in praise and adoration of God. But there's not a mention of who led that worship. There's, there's no mention of, of, of a great program. There's no hint of what they do with the kids. Where's their youth ministry? It's not mentioned. There's, there, is a, there is a building, and it's a pretty great building, but it's not theirs. There's not a great budget. I mean, Steve, they would have, I, mean, I guess they would, have ta- they would have taken in so much, and then by the end of the month, they said, well, what's our balance at the end of the month? It's zero again. We gave it all away again. So pretty simple budget. Whatever we get, we give. Pretty awesome. <laughs> Didn't have any endowments. Didn't have big savings programs. It's, it's, not, it's not there. There's, I mean, I mean, whose membership program? Who, who on the planet involved in the church says to people, do you have courage enough to join us? Are you brave enough to sign up and be one of us? I mean, who's, who's ever heard of that? I mean, by and large, membership in the body of Christ, the bar has been lowered so low. We want to make it easy. Easy access. Comfortable. Y'all comfortable? When did Jesus ever make us comfortable? If you really, really read what Jesus has to say to us, he disturbs my soul. (laughs) He doesn't make me comfortable. I'm only comfortable when I say, yes, Lord. (laughs) Okay. I give. Because who's going who's gonna to rule the cosmos? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be my religion? Is it going to be Jesus? Man, I want us to be a great church. I want the church in our generation, universal, to be a great church. So may I invite you to stand and pray with me that that's who we would be? As we pray, it starts with a confession. We don't have what it takes to pull this off. All we can do is say, God, you're all-powerful. God, you're full of grace. Would you fill us with power? Would you fill us with grace? And then as you extend your hand through us with your power and with your grace, may we respect who you are and what you do.
So that's our position. That's where we are. So let's pray that way, and then I'm going to ask. I'm going to do one other thing before we leave, okay? So, Father, we stand together, and we want to declare together, you are great. God is great. We recognize that you're, you, you and you, you alone, it, yours is the power. And we don't have that power. We, we don't have the power within us to do what these apostles did. We, we don't have the ability to heal the sick or to set the captives free. We don't have the ability to be gracious to one another. So would you fill us with your power? Unless you fill us with your power, we can't do this. Would you come, Lord, and fill us as a community with your power? And with that power, would you fill us with grace? That, Lord, we would be a graceful people, that we'd extend grace to one another, that we'd extend grace to the people that live around us in San Antonio, New Braunfels, and San Marcos. Lord, would would your power work through us to deliver the good news of your kingdom? And as as we watch you at work in us and through us, may we live in great respect for you. And Lord, as we see you do your work through us, may the community around us, the city around us, the region around us, may people again come back to respect God for who you are and what you do in this world of suffering. Fill us, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us with power and fill us with grace in the name of Jesus. And in in reading a passage like this, it, it would be irresponsible and ignorant of me if I didn't say to you, if you are sick today, we want to pray for you. You see, any moment, I mean, any time you pray for the sick is, is God's opportunity to break into the present with a gift of healing. But even if that healing doesn't come, it's still a way to declare Jesus is victorious. Jesus has conquered sin and death. And so it's a way for us to acknowledge that. So I just want to say, if anybody is sick, if, if there's anything physically wrong, or, or you just feel really pounded by darkness, would, would you just kind of spend some time over here? Uh, I, I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to pray for people, and then I think others will come. If there's too many, you know, I don't, I'm, not, you know I'm not the guru of praying. I, I'm glad to pray with you, but uh, there may be others that come and join and pray. But if you're sick or feeling really oppressed by darkness, let's invite the victor to have victory. Okay? So just kind of wander that way as we say goodbye. Thank you for our morning together. Amen.